handle the truth. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Clearly, don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Righteous Prick Podcast. I am your host, J.L. Covan. It is 5 p.m. on Saturday, October 9th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. I have a very busy week coming up. The next two weeks are going to be very busy. And uh, I'm just sitting here alone with Cookie in the, uh, in the Righteous Prick Studios. And uh, I thought... You know what? With Sunday being a very busy day of writing and other activities and Monday being a full day at work along with the typical recording of making podcasts great again, I said, you know what? Let's give the people – I'm not posting this early, but in case any number of things happens in the next 48 hours, uh, I pass away, um, major news occurs, I get canceled, uh, any, anything – that's why the episode may be lacking in details or response to any big stories that may occur in the world or to me in the next 48 hours. So I just figured, you know what, it's a relaxing, cool fall evening in Bloomfield, New Jersey. So why don't we just bang the episode out now? I've got enough to talk about, enough to lament, and... Uh, I don't think anything's going to capture the magic of last week's episode. Uh, the, the New Orleans bit alone, the the autoerotic asphyxiation um, bit was was uh, something that people enjoyed. But the New Orleans bit, which was just all simmering in my head but never articulated, is already a great bit on stage and may have actually been a late stage addition to the half blackface set, which I still haven't finalized which is causing me a, a high level of stress. And I'll tell you why, folks. I'll tell you why. And I'm using my calm therapeutic voice. But beneath the calm therapeutic voice is, as you can imagine, deep, deep rage. Um, I didn't think I'd be in this position, but it basically, here's, here's where my career stands. If the special taping two weeks from tonight I will be on the train into the city to find a quiet place to eat a pastry and get in our good mind space in two weeks time a fortnight some might say but if the special taping is an A or an A plus great then the next phase begins do we sell it Top choice to sell it just out of business necessity. My top choice would be HBO, but they say HBO likes to produce their own stuff in-house. I may still ask them to see if HBO wants to buy it, but if they, you know, if that's their hard rule, so be it. So Netflix would be number one. I also would like to win the Powerball. So, you know. Now, un unlike the Powerball, I think I have exactly 
what Netflix would want. Unlike the Powerball, which is one in, you know, 200 million, I feel like in a fair and just comedy world, I'd have like a one in seven chance at getting on Netflix, which would be good. But I'd probably have like a one in a hundred million chance of getting on Netflix. So better than the Powerball. But on top of that, let's say Netflix doesn't take it. My next choice, assuming HBO doesn't do in-house, is, uh, is Showtime, who has a, a more modest, but I think pretty solid stand-up record. Now, so we get to the point where, okay, the special couldn't have done any better. It's, it's, it's a brilliant piece of comedy. Great crowd. Wonderfully filmed. Now we try to sell it. And let's say Netflix or Showtime buys it. Step two. Step three is get an air date, hire a publicist, I'm, I'm talking investing in a high-end publicist, like ba bank-breaking public publicist, who will hopefully be able to combine a televised special uh, with my cable drama debut in, in uh, February of 2022. And maybe uh, that combination, we break the cycle. We break the cycle of JL achieving bullet point after bullet point, but no momentum, no higher boost from it. It's hard to imagine I could have a better year than 2020 in terms of elevating my station, but it, but it didn't do the trick somehow. Zero manager, zero agent, and not to shit on Raleigh. I had a show in Raleigh this week, as you may or may remember from previous episodes of the podcast, and some fans, some great fans showed up, some very, uh, some very, some righteous prick quoting fans showed up. Um, a few friends from college showed up, but the, the crowd was uh, was uh, numerically awful. And the only reason I, you know, wanted this gig was because I need to keep working on this material any chance I get in front of a real crowd, and it was uh, disheartening, as you can imagine. But you know, I'm at a point now where. The, the point of me going through this intro is then let's say the publicist I get knocks it out of the park. And guess what? The special gets rave reviews. Uh, whoever buys it sees a, an uptick or a, or a great number of streams or views for it and says, we want to get you for, uh, uh, we want to line up your next special. We want the rights to it. Um, agents start calling me. We book a tour for the second half of 2022 into 2023. The dream comes true. I tell my law firm, um, I appreciate you extending a, a wealth and benefits lifeline uh, that helped get me out of New York City and out of uh, comedy only to be dragged back in by this odd turn of circumstances that then led me to uh, where we are now. That's all that has to happen. Those one, like three one in a millions have to, ha I have to roll three one in a millions in a row. They shouldn't be one in a millions. Like I said, they should be like one in tens for somebody of my skill set, experience, and sort of social media publicity clout. But they are one in a millions, uh, d despite what should be that the, the reality is that they are all long shots. And I need a, I don't play cards really, but I'm guessing some sort of straight flush or straight royal piece of shit, whatever they do in card movies where it's like, I have this. And then it's like, I have the one thing better than that. I need that like three times in a row. So can it happen? Sure. Uh, that's why I'm doing it. And there is a freedom right now in my mind of that this special is all that matters for the future of my comedy career. And that's, I know that I don't, the reason I think I don't sound like totally despondent the way I do, I have more of that calm. I have more of that calm, you know, like Private Pile in, um, in uh, Full Metal Jacket once he's broken he's like dead inside and he's just like a great, like he knows how to put together his rifle now. And that's where I'm at in my comedy career, Co totally dead inside. But it's, there is a freedom to that because 
I have a show in Long Island on the 15th. I hope people show up. Will they? Probably not. I think that the, the good money, the safe money in Vegas is on JL once again not getting a good crowd for a headlining gig. Okay. I've sold out the special. Now, as you know, I had to cancel one of the shows for the special. So it's not exactly, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sort of deceptive victory. But the fact is, I get one shot in front of a full house. So that's all that matters for the future of my comedy career. So there's a freedom in that. I have gigs coming up in Pittsburgh and D.C. After that, I don't want to embarrass myself. I'm trying very hard with no success to uh, get a reply from Boston, a venue I already did well in. They haven't replied to my emails in two-plus months, so that's encouraging. I'm looking up venues in Northern California, Salt Lake City, and Chicago. Big cities where I know I have good followings. Uh, I have yet to get a reply from uh, most of those cities. Uh, so, you know, like I said... I'm trying. I don't think people maybe on internet, not that they need to care, obviously, about the behind the scenes stuff, but I don't think they realize that I'm ahead of them in terms of where I want to go. I know where I have fans. Now, uh, that hasn't stopped them from not showing up to gigs like in Philly, but that's okay. Like, I'm just saying, DC and Boston showed out. New York, disappointing, but still sold out that first taping. Um, LA, I think will do well, but you know, I want to at least go to the places where I have fans, but it's, it's part of it is like, yeah, if I'm, I'm doing this at this point, almost, you know, the, 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 the gigs I have lined up are not even really money makers. I just have this sense of like, well, you know, whether you gave me cameo money or watched my YouTube videos, I had a very successful year and I'd love to come and perform live for the people who helped propel me to greater financial success. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, maybe I don't have the good, a good business attitude for comedy because I keep looking at it as like, well, I'd like to go to where my fans are and like, you know, do a show and feel that humorous, loving embrace of, of fans. But at the end of the day, it, these, these are like break even gigs, which is weird because I've been breaking even for a decade as a middle act. And now that I'm headlining and I have a fan base numerically 40 times as large as I did two years ago, it's very strange to be in a position of like, I, apparently I can't afford to, to be more successful as a stand-up comedian because it's, it's not, it's like a, it's like a, an illusion of success when it comes to like selling tickets, which is, which has been always my only goal is to be a headliner selling tickets. And I'm, I'm not really that. Uh, which is weird because it feels like I had a golden opportunity that I seized and made the most of, and it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for the industry to give a shit. It wasn't, it's not enough for fans to come out. And I know individual people will write, I'm still not comfortable coming to a club. Okay, I get it. It's not about you one person. It's really about the fact that my fan base increased by a factor of 40, but I can't even get the same amount of people out that came to see me when it was a fan base divided by 40. That's, that's the mystery to me. And I think obviously some of that has to do with I attracted uh, maybe a large percentage of people who were bored and depressed and, and liked impression videos and, and, and view comedy more as a distraction than an art form. And that's okay. That doesn't make them bad people. It's just a little disheartening to – it's a little disheartening. Can you hear the, 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 the false modesty? It's, it's, it's heartbreaking to be like I, – I put myself in a position through a lot of work to, be, to know that I was a great stand-up comedian but I didn't have my outlet. I didn't have my thing that would elevate me. Then I got all these videos and all these fans and I thought, this is it. This is now I have more people are in the shopping mall that is JL's comedy career. So now I just got to get like a, a nice chunk of those people, 20% of those people as stand-up fans and I'm golden. Well, it feels like I've gotten negative percentage of them. And I'm, I know there are people, and, and I have to, I feel like I have to say this, 
the people who listen to this, the people who come to shows, this is obviously not about you. I couldn't be more grateful. Um, I joked with, with, a, with a fan from Raleigh today on Instagram. I said, the one good thing about having so few fans come out is that you remember the ones that do and you triply appreciate them because they're giving you everything you hoped for out of a comedy career. They can't, they can't make a thousand people show up on a weekend, but they can show up and they're doing it and they're supporting what you do. And that's, 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 that's an amazing feeling. And, and when you have fewer fans show up, you genuinely sort of feel more appreciative because you don't want to be like, nobody showed up. I hate this. I'd say that for the podcast, oddly, but in person, I'm really, uh, it does make me happy. Um, but it also, it's like a, it's, it's like the kind of happy where like, you know, the, the main character gets to see, uh, their friend one last time before they die. It's that kind of happy. So there's always a lingering sadness, no matter how appreciative. <laughs> um, so basically what I'm telling you is everything, everything hinges on half blackface. That's it. Just just my entire career. Now, that may sound dramatic. That may be, JL, you're going to throw away 18 years? Of, no, no. I threw away 16 years, you have to remember. I, so I'm only throwing away two years at this point because I took a job, moved to Jersey, basically as a, as a surrender of like I gave it everything I had and I know I'm really good and I have the respect of my peers and some famous comedians. But for whatever reason, I don't, I don't have that help me out or be an ally or whatever the fuck it requires to be to, to make it today. I just have a variety of comedy skills that are highly tuned and highly developed and really good. Uh, I haven't mastered any of the, any of the bullshit or, or whatever. I don't, I don't, I, I can't even articulate at this point. I'm done pretending to understand what this business, I mean, I know dog shit comedians who are becoming all types of superstars and you know, it, it, at, at some point you have to just go, eh, well, good for them and Oh, I wish I, you, you can wish you hadn't wasted so much time of your life, but at the same time, you have to start thinking about the time going forward. And that's what I'm trying to think of, but I'm still in the game and half blackface is, is it, it is, I feel like half blackface is like, I'm down three runs. There's two outs, but I'm at the plate with the bases loaded. And there's like two options. I strike out or I hit a grand slam because there is no, I got a single two runs scored and then the next guy strikes out. Do you know what I mean? So it's like that I still lose. I can have a good night and it'll feel good and maybe lead to a couple of months of some extra money or this or that. But if it's not a grand slam, I lose, I lose the, uh, the game. I lose that the career is over. So, um, that's all that hinges on half blackface, not nothing more than that. Uh, so we'll see in the words of our great ex president, we'll see what happens. But I, I just, you know, there's, there's, there's so many things in my comedy career right now where I don't, there are other projects I do where I want to end them because You do the honor, like there's, there are a lot of things, there are a lot of things, whether it's projects I've worked on or work on, whether it's, uh, doing somebody a favor, whether it's doing somebody's podcast where you start to really realize that this business, people close to you, people not so close to you, but you make this mistake of thinking a lot of people are your friends. Or like you have this like kind of friendly, and I'm, I'm even, even though I'm much more cautious and cynical than the average comedian, I think when it comes to the comedy business, you fall into it, but then you just sort of realize you're like, oh, that guy, like he wanted me for his podcast and like has never said it like, like that, like, that was it. That's, that's all he want. And it was like, but this is somebody I know. So I didn't think, but they're, they're, they're petty users and, and jealous, or you have other people that you do right by, but never really seem to grasp the generosity that you've shown. 
Like it never even occurs because it's such a self-centered business that you're like, oh, okay, I guess, yeah, that's, and I'm not going to get into, but it, it, it happens all the time. It's still happening. And it's, it's very, there, there are so many reasons to quit this business and I'm there, you know, I'm, it's, it's fine. I don't, I don't know if I was blacklisted and I've always said that and I don't know if that sounds paranoid or whatever, but like to be, to be real, it feels very plausible whether or not it's true. There's, there's a real plausibility to it. Cause if you said to somebody that in 2021, a, a biracial veteran comedian with, uh, you know, half a dozen strong credits and na a national reputation and national media coverage and, a, and an impersonator, sketch writer and stand-up comedian of, of a high substantive quality can't get a phone call or an email from a manager or agent at the peak of his career, you'd have to sort of wonder, like, how is it that the entire industry decided that I'm not worth shit in an age of viral content, social media numbers, racial and gender diversity, how I go three for three on the top criteria and oh for a thousand in actually advancing at all in the business. Another reason why I have real gratitude for fans because that's the only reason. That's the only reason I made more money last year. That's the only reason why anybody comes out to see me because there is no institutional backing. There is no... So the point being... Half blackface is is it. It's bases loaded, two outs, down three. So I I have a chance. I I'm gonna fucking swing swing for a fucking five hundred foot uh home run on, on the twenty third. And anything less I can still be proud of, but I also know that that I I can no longer ignore uh the facts. Like I I have this 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 I have to, as 50 Cent said many, many, many years ago, he talked about putting the rap game in a chokehold. That's what I have to do with comedy. I have to go, I have to, I have to violently rip it out of whoever is controlling it and, and put it in my own hands in, in a way that is so undeniable that it it breaks the will of whatever deity or industry figure that doesn't want me to to succeed um i know that sounds fucking probably creepy and apocalyptic but that's i mean the the alternative here is not that i die or like jump off a bridge the alternative is that i quit comedy and hopefully become a more um enjoyable person to be around uh, during the day and at night and with friends and less, uh, singularly focused on a career that is, that is not, uh, healthy or helpful for me. So this, the, 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 the ending of this story will have a good ending, happy and away from comedy or successful in comedy and gloating over the metaphorical corpses of my enemies. Okay. Metaphorical. That's a key word there. This podcast is not intended as some sort of Joaquin Phoenix Joker manifesto, okay? So I either end up a successful comedian and vindicated, or I end up a happier person and not involved in comedy. So as despairing as that sounded, as, 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 manif as, as unabomber of comedy as that may have sounded, this ends happily one way or the other. So that, that I am going through the most both depressing and stressful phase of my entire career because of what's riding on half blackface. But the good news is when that's done and I see what fruit it bears, the choice is made for me. I either go on a nice West Coast vacation, do some shows, see the Utah jazz play and say, well, I gave that shit uh, 18 and a half years of my life. I got nothing else to prove. Um, I already think People are getting dumber and are uh, more self-centered than ever before. So it may not be 
I don't see it becoming a climate more conducive to my comedy. Uh, but if I can, you know, silver lining, I think this, either way, this has a happy ending. Uh, maybe not the ending we're all looking for, but it will have a happy ending. Because I'm not going to let it have an unhappy ending. I'm not going to let it take me for another three or five years of clubs not returning my emails. Industry telling me I am not the right type that they need right now, while ignoring that I sort of am. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, they only have power over my mood, over my emotions if I stay in the game. And, you know, that's fine. If comedy wants uh, sort of a combination of mediocrity and redundancies, then they can have it. I don't need to be part of it, but half blackface is going to be a real motherfucking monster. The only question is, uh, will people know or will it die? My, my big, my big fear for all of my work is that, will it just go, will it fade silently into the ether, um, with, with never making its mark that it deserves to make. So, uh, that's this week's portion of JL is thrilled to be on planet earth. Um, not afraid of turning off the audience in the first half hour. Um, I also thought about doing a Ron Reagan junior sketch that would really only be for listeners of this podcast. But I thought, you know, let me put on like, like when I drop another like 25 pounds, put on a sweater vest and some corduroys, like get some makeup to make my, my sleepy eyes look really baggy. And then I just do outtakes from the Reagan Showtime series, like all the clips of Ron Reagan shitting on his family that didn't make it. My mother was a notorious oral whore in Hollywood, not afraid of sucking off A-listers. My dad had dementia, but also was an asshole. So don't feel bad for him. He sucked anyway, regardless of what his memory was doing. <laughs> Um, and, and it would get, people would be like, what the fuck is this? And I'd be like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. What, a, what the fuck is this? That's what I say every day with comedy. Um, I do have some stuff to talk about. I made a little bullet point list so I wouldn't forget, but, um, Dave Chappelle, I watched Dave Chappelle's new special. And, and what's great is here's a story for you. There's a guy who became a fan of mine, uh, from my, uh, work on the Dan Lebitard show when I created a character called Trump Gots. Now, there's a blog on my website if you ever want to about, uh, it's Who Killed Trump Gots is the title. And I go into very plausible theories on why a producer for the Dan Lebitard show um, was, in my estimation, most likely a, a jealous bitch who clearly didn't want to cede the spotlight on comedy and was being, you know, his spot as comedy guy on the show. Uh, everybody liked this segment that I was producing and I wasn't a famous, I'm obviously, I'm not a famous comedian. I was, I was a nobody, but who had come up with a thing that listeners of the show loved. So this one person loved it. Guy contacts me after I blow up on uh, social media in 2020. And he's like, I got an idea. I want you to, I want, I want, I, I want to pitch it to Lebertar. I was like, okay, thank I'm glad you're a fan. I know you've been a fan for a little while. You thought Trump Cots was the greatest thing, but I was like, I kept saying, I don't want to be part, I, I don't even want to be pitched to the Dan Levitard show. And he was telling me, well, no, I, from what I hear, he's leaving ESPN. He might get like a Spotify deal. It'd be a great opportunity. And, new. and I was like, yeah, but I don't want to work with them. They disrespected my work twice. Fuck them. They can keep their money. Fuck them. And that's just, you know, that's not even me saying individually, fuck Dan Levitard. I'm just like, no, fuck the show. You get you don't get you don't get multiple chances to disrespect my work because why? Because fans like it and it didn't come from within the show. So the producer fucking badmouthed me and it's it, it, the blog explains everything. But the guy was persistent. He's like, "Come on, man, you got you're gonna." And, he, and, he, and then he played that card, which I don't know why I'm sensitive to it, but it was like I guess he had already overpromised. Like he was he was like, "You make me look like a fucking asshole." I'm, I'm telling you, they'll do it. They they you gotta let me like pitch you. And I said, okay, go ahead. So this goes on for like a month, month and a half. And he basically gets ghosted by the show, probably because he was talking out of his ass. 
And it got to a point where I was like, okay, like, can you, like, it's cool, dude, you tried, but like, stop bothering me about this. And he'd be like, can you just record something? I was like, no. And then he got very kind of nasty with me and was like, well, this is why I don't like text and blah, 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 because you're like, you don't get, and I'm like, no, no, I read words. I can interpret words. You're being fucking rude. And I won't get into all the rudeness, but shit that was like really fucked up um, for, to protect his personal shit. I won't say what he said, but it related to uh, personal tragedy and then like sort of wishing it upon. And I was like, fuck out of here. B- bye. But he friended me on Facebook like eight months later. And I mention all this because this is a person who, when I express opinions on Dave Chappelle, this is a person who seems to fucking, he's always telling me like, nobody likes those bits. And why are you going after Chappelle? Why? Like, he was like, you should probably sell out Madison Square Garden before you start firing shots. So I I unfriended the guy, but it was one, it led me to my, you know, my Chappelle thing. The reason I brought that up is because it was like, you start to, this is not the, none of this is worth it. Like this comedy world, it's not worth it. Like it's not, if you can't, if you have to be in the muck for your entire career, it, it will drive you crazy. But this guy was like, and then called something I wrote about Dave, cause, cause Dave Chappelle, once again, uh, spoken word tour. And, and by the way, I, I really don't give a shit. It's like Dave, this, this idea that we put comics because we like some of their jokes and some of their jokes are crafted well as like more meaningful philosophers on life. Fuck out of here. Most comedians are pieces of shit. And most are like, you know, have honed their minds to think a certain way, but they're not fucking Nobel prize winners. So this idea that we've given such extra lofty, you know, we, we get our, we don't read newspapers. Uh, we, we watch John Oliver. We don't read books. We watch documentaries and we, and when a comedian makes like some point, it's like, Oh mm, yeah. You know what? Some of the, some of the real truth is coming from comedians. Oh, blow me. So this guy was very protective of Dave Chappelle because I basically laid out the fact that from my experience seeing him on Broadway, um, I thought he was, he was, he was sort of fucking out of line and making like misguided analogies. And it was proven to me by the fact that he was getting like applause and mm-hmm's from the, from the homophobes and bros in the crowd instead of laughter. That's what, and that to me is like the tell. The tell of if you're anybody can get up there and say some shit that their audience will agree with. You know, I can get up there and be like, Trump is a piece of shit to start my set for half blackface and I'll get a bunch of claps and whoops. And what the fuck would that do? What what would be the purpose of that? None. It would serve no purpose whatsoever. So this guy um, called what I wrote nonsense. So I unfriended him. I took the high road and, and didn't say anything. I just said, no, you know what? Um, you've annoyed me for long enough. And, and he, he was sort of an amalgamation of like, you let a fan too close because you're afraid of being rude to them or disappointing them. And they turn out to be a fucking nutbag, rude, uh, person with their own issues who never, as soon as they disagree with you, never show you any deference or respect. Like he, he kept telling me I didn't have like the clout to talk about Chappelle. And I'm like, well, I'm a comedian. I'm smarter than Dave Chappelle. I've thought about, I'm probably more thoughtful than Dave Chappelle. Um, and, uh, what he's saying I think is wrong and I'm entitled to an opinion and my opinion on comedy while everybody's entitled, my opinion's more informed and more thought out and, and, and comes with more comedy experience than the guy telling me I don't have the right to speak on it. So um, you know, the, I did, the point is I watched Chappelle's thing and it's, it's very fitting to what I've been parodying. And of course people hate it the way they, everybody reveres my Louis CK impression. Now half the comments when I did that fucking video were telling me to go fuck myself because comedy fans want the short, they, no offense, not my fans, of course, other people's fans. And I mean that I know I'm using the Ron Reagan voice, which implies I don't mean what I'm saying, but I actually do mean this. I think the people who ever, whatever dozens of people have actually traveled with me from Trump to this podcast, to my standup, they know they get shit. Um, but I think a lot of comedy fans, comedy is just one more shortcut to, to get like, uh, your, your own beliefs, reinforced. 
and you know more and more of Chappelle's stuff is like clapping and serious statements and like ooh he went there and it's like he went where like his his special was like 70% defense and argument and 25% comedy like and that's a whatever if you like it you like it but like don't tell me that this guy is doing groundbreaking shit anymore like I thought Age of Spin was amazing and that was only like five years ago. But since then, it's been this steady downturn to like, you know, fucking hanging out with Joe Rogan too much or something. Uh, so it's, but, but I, I, I mentioned that, I mentioned that guy just more of as a segue to, to talking about Chappelle because it's like, you, you start to feel like more and more comedy fans I'm not looking to be treated like some sort of special person because I do comedy and I'm good at it and I have a decent education. I don't think I'm like, but I, but my opinions and my jokes are well informed. And this is a guy who watches a video with 20,000 views and like, you know, a thousand likes and 150 dislikes and tells me it's a flop. And I'm just like, oh, because you don't like it. And you know, it just, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird business. And you, you try to be, you try to follow the, the, the sort of logic of like engage with your fans. But the more, you know, for every 20 cool fans, there's, there's a fan that makes it fucking miserable. Or even for every 200 fans, there's a one that makes it miserable and makes you want to go, I'm just not going to read the comments now. I know it probably people like it when you read and reply and like what they said, but maybe it's not worth doing that. And then that's just another reason of like, it would be hard enough to in, to be happy with this e comedy ecosystem if I was like rich and successful and my career was like set, you know, like another tour, another special, boom, say whatever you want because I the rock upon which this comedy church is built would be that stand-up comedy success and stability, but it's not there. So instead, you have career instability with unstable fans occasionally. And you're like, this is not worth any of my time. So uh, that was just a, a way to discuss the Chappelle thing. But please go watch my Chappelle YouTube videos as well. Obviously, they don't get as much traction as the Trump because I'm in some sort of Trump purgatory on algorithms, but so be it. Uh, yeah, we got books, we got movies, we got TV shows, so we can talk about that. And as far as my shows go... Uh, Belmore, Long Island, October 15th. Don't know if anybody listening to this is even from Long Island or near Long Island. So if you are, please go. Um, December 9th, Pittsburgh Improv. December 16th to the 18th, DC Improv. And uh, February 6th, Flappers in Burbank, California. Big show there. Got to sell a lot of tickets to that. Um, and as I keep saying, and I, I sound like a broken record, but I am reaching out to cities where I know I have fans <laughs> And I don't get the replies. Um, I'm trying to get to Michigan, Ann Arbor, or Detroit, but no replies from those clubs, even though um, the last club I headlined before the pandemic was Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase in 2019. They told me they'd have me back. I then became famous. They haven't replied to any of my eight emails sent this year. Uh, Boston did very well at City Winery. Would love to go back in like I was looking for like a spring date. Uh, they have not replied to any of the four emails I've sent since uh, August. So there's that. Um, Salt Lake City, the one guy there has been good, but he's a little slow on figuring out if I can lock in a date. Um, I may just make a trip. But unfortunately, I may just make that trip to Utah, like go see a couple of jazz games. That's certainly worth it. I was just hoping to do a show because I know I have some fans out there. I think I could draw and it would be fun. But, you know, if I can't, I can't. I still want to see the jazz play in Utah a couple times. Um and then Northern California, I have asked, uh, asked uh, a comedy friend for help. Uh, they said they would. That was three and a half weeks ago. They haven't gotten back to me. Um, you know, so, and Chicago. I've emailed uh, three different venues in Chicago uh, with the hopes of appearing there in late January. I know for a fact I have a lot of Chicago people. Um, and none of the three venues has, has gotten back to me in the last, within the last three weeks. So we're trying, but, you know. I, I, I felt this way about my college basketball career. I almost quit college basketball, but it was finite. 
So I was disappointed in my career. Um, and by the way, justified. I came in as one of the worst, like the worst player in my class, uh, my freshman year. Cause I'd come from like, I was, I was still skin. I wasn't, uh, I, was, I was still skinny and came from a shitty private school program. So I was not ready for the, for the intensity level of college hoops. And, but I, I got used to it. I got my ass in the weight room. I, I focused that energy and, um, you know, by junior and senior year, I was getting good time, but not nearly what I thought I deserved at that point. But the urge to quit was tempered by the fact that it was a finite experience. Comedy has been an open-ended experience, you know, and it's, I, I have the power to close it. Um, but it, it can stay open indefinitely. However you define indefinite, like, Hey, I do two gigs a year. Okay. I'm still doing comedy. Like, Oh, I, I get one out of every 150 emails replied to. Well, I still have a relationship with the business. Uh, that's not going to be me. So, um, yeah, this turned into a bit of a rambling episode. Um, I guess as the skies turn more gray and dark in Bloomfield, so does my mood. Not afraid of mirroring the climate and weather outside. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. That's not the true Ron Reagan. That was a pay that was that was an insult to my Ron Reagan impression. That wasn't the real deal. Um, I will say this: I just started watching. Finally, uh, I had five episodes on the DVR lined up, so I just watched this afternoon two episodes of Impeachment, American Crime Story, Impeachment on FX. Gotta say, I'm really digging both Beanie Feldstein as Monica and Clive Owen as Bill Clinton, like. However they were directed or the acting choices they've made, um, I was watching the two of them talk and I was like, I'll fuck either of them. They, I feel that, that chemistry and because, because Monica Lewinsky, she's got, you know, she's a, she's got the, you know, maybe this is just having gone to a private school in New York City with a, with many busty Jewish women. But I'm like, well, look at her. She's a little, little, little rotund, but she's got the, the, the rack and, and she's got this voice. She's just very, it's like very soothing. It's very like. I don't want to, I can't do an impression of her, but it was, it's just like, it feels more like somebody's giving you a massage when she talks. And then in comes Clive Owen as Bill Clinton, just making great eye contact with, with Monica and just, just talking with that smooth, soft confidence. And I was just like, yeah, of course. If, if, if these two are delivering uh, realistic performances of their subjects, of course they fucking had sex and shit or sexual activities. Of course. Cause I'm looking at them going, yeah, either one. I'll take either one at this point. Great job, Clive. Great job, Beanie. That's a, that's a wrap. The director now has to go uh, beat off in his trailer because uh, he's having confused feelings about the seductive qualities of his male and female stars. Um, so yeah, great work so far. I'm enjoying that. Uh, I wasn't sure if I would, I wasn't sure if the American crime story anthology series would lose some of its buzz. Cause I loved the OJ one. And even though the chronology was a little, threw me off a little bit at the beginning of the Versace one, I ended up loving that one too. And so far this one seems to be good, really good. And, um, Clive Owen and Beanie Feldstein, I hope I'm Felds. I think it's Feldstein. Um, if it's not, I just sound like I'm saying a random, like Jewish name. And that sounds weird. Like it sounds worse. I'm like, it's like a Feldstein or something. Right. But I think it is Beanie Feldstein. Um, they're, they're killing it as far as I'm concerned. Cause I'm like, all I know is I don't blame either of these two. <laughs> I don't know if that's the purpose of, of the show is to be like, I think we can all forgive Bill and Monica because if you're watching this right now, you probably want to fuck them both also. So I'm like, yeah. I'm just watching them being in the room as one or the other. It must've been uh, very electric. So I forgive Bill and I forgive Monica. Um, speaking of Bill though, I am almost done now with zero fail a book. I believe I spoke of last week, zero fail of the rise and fall of the secret service by Carol Lenning. I love this book. Um, I've got like a hundred pages left. It's fi like a 500 page book. I've got a hundred pages. Left. I love it. Um, I, like I, I'm gonna go back and look at every book I've read this year so far, but I think it's definitely the front runner for book of the year as far as I, I that I've read this year. If I've read, you know, like 20 books or something, 23 books, I don't know. But 
right now. That's it's just the narrative, the juiciness, the history. It's all so good. But man, oh man, the section on the Clinton White House made me really, you know, Bill Clinton was basically living that Kennedy lifestyle, just fucking tons of chicks while in the White House, but like under a much bigger microscope than Kennedy had to deal with. So give Bill credit for chutzpah, but geez, he's, it's, it's hard to just feel the same way about the guy. Cause you're just like, damn, this dude is just fucking every, like he just keeps fucking and the secret service. And then the secret service, they hated Hillary. And I think the author does a really good job of like, first you get like a lot of the secret service people saying, I think she was kind of, she was fake. She was like not nice to us. She was, but I think they were also many of them coming from that. They liked the, the first, you know, the Barbara Bush, um, uh, George HW Bush pairing. And it, it doesn't speak badly on the Bushes. They were just of a different era. And she was like a, ask them how they're doing, give them cookies, like, they took them on vacation. Sometimes they were very, very thoughtful. Like the secret service loved the first Bush and his wife, which was sort of the tension when the Clintons came in because they didn't like, they, they were losing the people they really liked. And Hillary was justifiably guarded and thought that maybe the secret service was leaking things, which I think they were in some cases. And that begat a tense relationship between them. But, but, but at the same time, when they interviewed like some women, about Hillary. They were like, yeah, I think it was more the boys club, like not liking the fact that she was, she viewed herself more as like a partner with Bill in the white house than the ornamental first lady. But the Bill Clinton stuff was like, I mean, he would just be going to like the YMCA in a private room, like meeting chicks, like I'm going to the gym this morning. And that was really to meet some like 25 year old blonde to bang in a private room at the YMCA. <laughs> Why not put that? I, I don't know. I forget if it was a YMCA, but why not put make that a song? You know, like a reboot of the YMCA just based on Bill Clinton's sexual trysts at the YMCA. <laughs> old man, you can fucking intern. And then old man, secret service will hide her. And then old man, someone comes in to wipe all the jizz away from your affairs. Old man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope that was worth waiting through a particularly depressing career update. But this book is, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's just been such a like intense, pleasurable, informative read. Like I, it's, it, it literally feels like both tr salacious trash and like really well done history. So uh, zero fail. I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, I'll be done with it in a few days. Um, and then I'm going to read this book my brother got me from uh, a writer at ProPublica where my brother is an editor. So he wanted to, I think, support a ProPublica person. But for my birthday, which was obviously many months ago, he got me this book called Unfulfilled, which is which is a book about uh, Amazon, since he knows I'm, I'm not an Amazon guy. Uh, shopping wise, at least. Obviously, I use websites that use Amazon Web Services and I watch things on Amazon Prime uh, that I don't pay for, by the way. Somebody else pays for it. My dollars are not. I have created a, a firewall between me and Amazon so that I cannot be shown to be purchasing items from Amazon. But um, Zero Fail, great book. So that at least got me in a good... See, reading, it's fundamental, and uh, it got me in a better mood. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the last thing I guess to tell you guys about. The last thing to tell you about is I'm checking my list and I'm checking it twice, seeing who's naughty or nice at the YMCA bathroom. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Do you do that thigh machine? <laughs> you know, the one that looks like you're opening your legs to welcome the president in. Um, but yeah, I mean, Bill Clinton really seems, I mean, he's, the guys seem to like, I mean, he's a talented politician and I, he definitely has empathy and, and skills and, and, and he, he's not all bad, but man, uh, kind of, kind of scummy. Um, or as Kid Rock once said so eloquently, Bill Clinton is a motherfucking pimp. <laughs> I think he meant it as a compliment. Not afraid of giving bipartisan compliments when it's about misogynistic sex acts. <laughs>
Kid Rock, a Republican, but willing to cross the aisle to compliment a guy who puts cigars in the vaginas of interns. Uh, my name is Kid. Great first album. Great first album, Devil Without a Cause. It really is uh, a great album. I'm sorry to say that, but I, uh, I'm just telling the truth, okay? Uh, yes, and then the last thing, folks, Sopranos. Finished the rewatch of The Sopranos. Grew in my appreciation for the show, for the cast, than the first time I watched it. Like, I was under this impression that the first season was just the best season. I was like, the first season, it never was as good as the first season. First season, in my opinion, was like one of the worst seasons. The only thing that made it great to me is the mom, uh, who reminds me so much of my own mother. Me and, uh, it used to be, it was cute when my, uh, when the righteous girlfriend would look at me during Curb Your Enthusiasm and be like, that's you. Like, I think she must have done that 35 times during the course of a rewatch of Curb Your Enthusiasm a couple of years ago. It's a little more disturbing when she sees Tony reacting to something or Tony and his mother talking and, uh, and then gives me the look over. Uh, that's not as funny and cute, uh, but still accurate. But uh, Tony, uh, Tony's mom was to me that she won the Emmy for the first season for supporting actress. Uh, she was phenomenal. It was sad that the actress had died. I don't know what the plan was for the character, but uh, Sopranos as a whole, incredible show, incredible art, um, and great, great acting basically throughout the show, which which I grew to appreciate. I kept on uh, the righteous girlfriend that um, uh, Uncle Junior. This will sound weird, but. Uh, seeing my father age, like I looked at uncle junior and was like, you're like, you look like a white version of my dad as he got older. Cause uncle junior like, you know, deteriorates through dementia and stuff. And then I remember seeing Dominic Chianese, like after the show was done, not in person, but on TV. And it was like, he was really acting like he was not as old and like decrepit. And like, he, he was like, that might be, Paulie, I think, was very underrated. I think he was phenomenal. Uh, I think that's Tony Sirico, Sirico, um, I, if I'm not mistaken. But but Dominic Chines as uh, as Uncle Junior, I think, was other than to Tony and Edie Falco, obviously beasts, incredible. Just you forget that they're actors. You're just like that's Carmela and Tony. But uh, Uncle Junior struck a nerve with me just because I was like this guy has clearly studied and been around old people sort of, it was, it was, had my father not been, had dimension gotten old. I, I don't think I would have appreciated the deep nuances of his performance, even though he's not in the show as much in like the last season. Uh, but, but overall shows great. And of course it ends in the famous scene in Holstein's, which I much more appreciated uh, this time around knowing it was coming, I was like watching for things. And of course we've all probably read, if we're fans of the show, we've probably read analysis of it, but a real, a real masterpiece that show. So, um, I go from, you know, remembering it as like a really good show to like, no, no, it's deserving of all the praise and, and sort of historical credit that it gets. And the reason we did the rewatch was then we went to have an Italian dinner where I had a big fat lasagna. And thanks to my nooming, I couldn't really pound, I couldn't pound the whole lasagna like I used to. I was like three quarters of the way through. I was like, mm, it's too much, which is, I think what places like five guys play on. And I don't know if I've done this on this show. So apologies if I have, but I always thought to myself, the marketing genius of five guys is to play into toxic masculinity. Like if you want a hamburger at five guys, you order a hamburger, you get two patties. I don't get the two patties anymore. I'm, I'm trying not to be a fat fuck. If the last time, the last 10 times I've been to a five guys, I want the one patty, but you know what that's called? The little hamburger. So they're subtly being like, Hey guy, do you really want to go up to this young man or woman and go, I'll have the little hamburger. It's like, I'm, you know, at this point it's like, um, yes, I'll have the uh, small dick, I'm a pussy, uh, total coward hamburger, please. <laughs> like, I want to do a parody where I, my restaurant, to get people to upsize everything, is like, you know, you could go to Red States and be like, I'm a gay liberal hamburger. Do you want that one? That's the one patty. Or you can get the six patty, big dick, full-blooded American. 
burger. It's up to you. It's up to you which one you want. You can get the um, the, you can get the my penis resembles uh, the clitoris of a porn star uh, uh, burger and fries combo, which is very small and very pathetic. Or you can get the um, hot chicks want to fuck me and I also bench press 500 pounds, bro, uh, burger shake fries combo. Well, it, it's up to it's. I don't. I don't care what what you pay. It's up to you. We're no judgment. Oh, okay. So you want the I'm a giant. Oh, wow. You want the I'm a giant pussy uh, burger, which comes with no fries. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, uh, okay. One one giant pussy order uh, for this guy standing right here, everybody. Okay, that'll be right. That'll be nine ninety five, sir. Uh, please step to the side in our uh, little. We have a special section for you, uh, which comes with masks and pussy hats, and real Americans throw fruit at you while you wait for your uh, giant pussy order. Okay, thank you. So, uh, but I'm not that type of person who worries. So I order the little hamburger. I say I'll have a little hamburger, and and they just yell one patty. They don't try to shame you. But I think that was the psychology behind it. Make people overcome their toxic masculinity if they want to order a cheaper and more calorie uh, responsible meal make them make them feel less than if it's possible and maybe we'll we'll sell a few more patties um but we went to i couldn't eat the whole lasagna but it was delicious and then uh, took a cab to holstein's in uh in bloomfield my my town of the last two years the most famous location in my town, Holstein's, the, where the finale took place. And we, I, we had ice cream there and took some pictures. And I did a, a cool Instagram story because I'm a basic Bloomfield bitch. But it was, uh, it was fun. And, but it was so weird because sitting in, in Holstein's, and, the, and it was, it was a delicious, I think, made-in-house ice cream. I had a very nice one-scoop Sunday because that's all the calories I could afford on my Noom. But then I came home and had like, popcorn and a bowl of cereal. So I, like an asshole, I went over my calories yesterday, but because I'm stupid, it was with Raisin Bran Crunch and Skinny Pop popcorn. I might as well have just gotten a fucking three scoop sundae and lived a little. So, you know, anyway, um, I guess I was in just bitch ass order mood. I'll have the one scoop sundae for uh, for kids and old people and giant pussies. Can I have the one scoop? <laughs> but we looked at the booth. We didn't get to sit in the Tony Soprano booth, but it was, it felt like being in TV history. And I was just saying during the during the dessert, I was like, there's one, this, this place, it's like, instead of AD and BC, it's like before Sopranos and after Sopranos. And it was a popular institution in Bloomfield before. So it's not like it was like, we don't know what we're doing. But after that, it's just like they—they're you know that's it. You are, you are the place from the Sopranos, um, and it's obviously good for business. But it was—it was very delicious. I look forward to going there for for more desserts uh, and maybe trying some of their candies as well. So look at that. Look at me just further becoming a member of the Bloomfield, New Jersey community. Isn't that nice? Like I said, it has a happy ending, folks. I'm just. If, if comedy doesn't work out, even though it quote unquote should, if half blackface, I, I can only handle the making an amazing piece of art part of this. I can't guarantee the sale, the marketing, the views, the eyeballs, etc. I can do my part and then work hard and pray on the rest of it. But if it doesn't work out, folks, I think I'm going to be okay. I'm going to probably get a little fatter because I'm going to probably need to go to Holstein's more and be like, oh, you know what? I think my is over. So if I could just have um, the giant Sunday, please. And if somebody in a member's only jacket could shoot me in the back of my head while I'm enjoying it, that would be really appreciated. I'll tip extra for that. No, it's, uh, you know, it life, life goes on and life is not comedy. Um, but we'll see. And Cookie is scratching the carpet for some reason. Hey, Cookie, could you stop that, please? Cookie? Cookie! Come here. Come here, pup-pup. 
Hello, cookie girl. Oh, she's such a good girl. She's, I really do love this dog. I complain about her so much, especially in earlier seasons of Righteous Prick that not all of you are privy to. But now she's lying on my foot. But I do love this dog because she has, she has a lot of personality. She's annoying in many ways, but she has a lot of personality, a lot of, a lot of different looks on her face. So it, it's, uh, it's, she caused me a lot of grief early on, and, and I wish she wasn't such a chicken shit uh, of everything. But she's she really is. She's she's very loving and she's very sweet, and she's got a lot of personality. So I'm always happy to have her around, uh, except when she's digging up the carpet for some fucking reason. Um, but uh, ah, you thought I was doing a Sopranos ending? Wouldn't that have been that? that Here's why I didn't do that. I almost thought about doing that, guys. And then I thought, is anybody going to get what I just did? And I don't mean this to offend you. I just feel like people would have just been emailing me going, um, the audio uh, failed during your podcast. And then I would have been like, I was trying to do a Sopranos homage. And then um, most of you would have said, oh, I've never seen the Sopranos. And I'd go, why not? And then we'd get into an argument and I'd block like 30% of you. You'd be like, I don't know why you're getting mad at me, JL. I support your comedy. And I go, yeah, but you're not culturally aware enough to get all my comedy. And that's just as bad. So get out of here. And then I would have had a horrible day and been complaining. And, and that. so I, I, I opted to not go with a Sopranos podcast ending. That's too meta. Okay actually afraid of challenging his audience's cultural and intelligence smarts. Uh, but everything will be okay, I think, guys. That's the lesson of this. Um, but if you're a praying type, say a prayer for Half Blackface. If you're going to be at Half Blackface, laugh. If, you, if, if you're not a praying type, just be ready to watch it or buy it whenever it comes out and tell 20 friends. Um, but I, I'm not, it's not even ready yet. It's, it's like, it's coming down to the wire. It feels like it, it's very stressful right now because I have to cut some things because my ending is still not where I need it to be. And I need to cut some things within to just keep it to, to an hour, to a respectable tight hour. And uh, it's it's nerve-wracking, but it's also fun because every fucking album I've ever done has been a nerve-wracking experience that I've had to get. Five of the six were, were one shot. So it's not something I haven't done before. It's something I've done many times before, but this one, a lot hinges on this. So if you're a praying type, say a prayer. I know there's better things to pray for, but I give to charity. So like my success means tens of thousands of dollars to the needy. Okay, folks. So, uh, you know, you could just give to charity and pray for something more meaningful. If you're a praying type, sure, you could do that. But why do that? I'm not going <clears> to, <throat> I'm only going to ask for your prayers for this special and for real stuff for like health and like, uh, depressing things. Okay. But this one time I'm just asking for like a quasi selfish prayer. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, and as I say, when I pray in church, as, as medieval as this may sound, I try to, whenever I'm praying and asking for stuff, I always try to just say, ah, oh, you know, we have a phrase, thy will be done. And I, that's, that's sort of, I probably like an Alcoholics Anonymous thing of like, believe in a higher power, like surrender yourself to a higher power. And that's what I sort of say. I say, if I'm not supposed to be doing comedy, by all means, please let me know. But if this is my path to better the world and better my family and whatever, then, then please also try to make that happen. But, um, Lord, please don't be ambiguous. <laughs> I need an unambiguous signal. Like if Netflix buys half blackface for a million dollars, I'm going to go, I hear you loud and clear, Lord. But if we record half blackface and the like recording burns up in the machine, and they go, we've got some bad news, JL. The footage is all gone. After I commit triple homicide, I will go, I hear you loud and clear, Lord. I'm quitting comedy today. Uh, 
so, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's your theology section of the podcast today. So thank you guys for listening. Um, thank you, uh, to the folks who came out in, in Raleigh. Um, hope to see you in, in, uh, Long Island, uh, at the special taping in Pittsburgh and DC. Uh, I think I'm, I'm going to see a knee doctor. Um, I'm going to make a knee doctor appointment for both my knees this week. Uh, I think I'm going to need some, some, uh, some knee surgery. It feels like, which is nothing, which is not something I'm looking forward to, but you know what? Uh, self-care guys, self-care. <laughs> so have a great week, folks. Uh, have a great week. Thanks for the support. Um, and, uh, you know, either say a prayer for half blackface or, or give to a worthy charity. Um, it's up to you, but I, I hope this one week you'll just be like the charity can wait. So be good, get vaccinated. If you're not stay safe and I will see you next Tuesday. <laughs>